Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to College for First Gens, our podcast where we get together over some coffee to have real conversations about what it's like to be a first-generation student before, during, and after college. If you are a new listener, our goal as first-gen students is to share knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about the experience from other first-gens, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges we've experienced by sharing lessons learned from fellow first-gens. I'm Cody Daly, one of the show's co-hosts, a first-generation student living in Chicago, Illinois, whose job as a post-secondary counselor is to help and inspire the next generation of first-generation students. Today's episode is about career development. On Thursday, March 11th, the How to College team partnered with the University of Alabama's First Fellows Program to offer a live podcast career panel called Career Conversations. During this event, three first-generation professionals share their expert advice when it comes to career planning, career preparation, and also entering the workforce as a first-gen professional. We hope you enjoyed this recording of the live podcast and plan to join us for other live sessions in the future. Welcome to tonight's live podcast career panel with the How to College First Gen podcast. We're super, super excited. The How to College First Gen podcast is a podcast that's goal is to democratize information for first generation students. Our team is completely comprised of first generation students, and we create episodes and share resources to help students in high school, college, and beyond with their educational journey. Tonight, we're super excited to have three amazing individuals on our panel for tonight's episode. We have Joe Tastani, Dr. Gina DeRosier-Cook, and Yesenia Mejia. Uh, What we'll do is we will start with panelists' introductions. We will then do a segment on choosing a career. We will also then discuss using college to prepare for a career. And then lastly, we'll end with entering the workforce. And tonight's event could not be made possible without our partnership with the First Fellows Organization at the University of Alabama. So we are grateful to be partnering with them this evening for this live podcast episode. But I've done enough talking for now. So let's (laughs) pass it along to our special guests. Guests, panelists, if you guys can introduce yourselves and talk about your personal background, your educational background, and your first-generation journey, whichever, whatever you would like to share. And Joe, let's go ahead and start with you. Thanks, Cody. Uh, great to be here tonight and looking forward to a great conversation and great discussion with everyone. Joe Destani, I work at the University of Rochester in uh, upstate New York. And my main role or function is to help uh, our students here at the university decide what they want to do with their careers, navigate their education, think about how to apply their careers to life after university. And I've been working in the career education space for 20 plus years at a variety of public and private universities around the country. I'm a first-generation uh, college student. Uh, both of uh, my parents' uh, families are immigrants from, from Italy, and I grew up in New York and was, I have two older siblings who went to college, but I was the first to go away to college and, and go uh, sleep away, if you will, uh, in college. And so it was a really interesting experience. I got my associate's degree first from community college, then received my bachelor's degree 
I worked for some time and then got my master's degree from Indiana University, Bloomington, Indiana. So I'll talk a little bit more about, I think, my story as, as, I, as we kind of discussed throughout the evening. But I'm really looking forward to some great questions. And this is definitely a topic near and dear to my heart and my experience. So I'm Dr. DeRossier Cook. And my personal experience with first-generation students in college, I've spent the last decade and a half dealing with non-traditional students at different entry points in their college careers. I've also served as the president for education and training in the state of Illinois. I'm in the Chicago South suburbs. I started my degree um, when I got my GED. I was a teen mom who dropped out of high school and decided to take one class so I could get a pair of tennis shoes at the local community college, and I fell in love with education. I was hooked. And I've just spent my career making sure that I could lift other individuals up into that same capacity so we can make a difference and really just show what it's like to be in college and teach people how. I come from a first-generation home, and English was a second language in some of my family members. So just really understanding the system and how you can fit in and become a college-educated individual was very hard for me. And so I'd like to make it easier for other individuals. And I'll share more as the evening goes. On. So thank you for having me here. I'm Miriam Mega. I use she, her pronouns. I'm currently the interim assistant director of debt conscious support at DePaul University. And so our office supports first-generation college students, uh, students of color, eligible students of students of marginalized genders and sexualities, as well as undocumented students. And my educational experience started at a community college. My parents also immigrated here and, and were really nervous, like, let me go away, right? I think a lot of the machismo in like the Latino community also was one of the barriers in me going away to school. And then and I uh, to West Illinois University, which was the cheapest state school. But I received my math from DePaul University, where I have a clinical background in clinical mental health. And yeah, there was a lot of hesitancy, a lot of imposter syndrome throughout my educational journey, but I did it. So yeah, I hope you all also feel comfortable in like asking for help. Awesome. Well, thank you all for the introductions. And now we're going to go ahead and get started with the first segment. And, you know, a lot of students on the call and, and advisors on the call that work with students, they might know or feel that one of the biggest questions students have is, how do I figure out what career is right for me? And we talk about the importance of exploring careers. And I feel like I say that, I'm a school counselor, I feel like I say that probably 50 times a day, right? Exploring careers, exploring careers, exploring careers. But sometimes students and even parents might not know the best ways to go about that or what ways to even go about that. So can you talk about, given your experience, what are some of the best ways students can explore their careers in, in given your experience? I think the best thing to really realize here is 80% of students are going to change their major that first two years of college. And that oftentimes it's because they haven't had exposure to what that career or degree really is about. So I encourage people from, you know, as early as junior high into high school to start gaining exposure to the industry that you're looking in. Talk to people who are actually in the careers. Don't just read about them online. I have a great piece of paper and a degree that I've done nothing with since because I I just kind of picked out of a book what looked good to me and didn't really research that an associates in biology wasn't going to make me 
a teacher or, you know, the next person to solve how dolphins talk, or I'm not sure where I was going. It just looked good. And as a first generation person, it was just exciting to go to college. So we didn't put in the thought and the effort into gaining that experience, volunteer in organizations and really start bringing, building up your social profile in LinkedIn. And when you make those connections, connect with them and then nurture that relationship and ask questions. I think all of us that are in different industries are always open to talking with young people or people who are just kind of looking to see what, you know, being in education is. I've had about three different careers in education in 15 years. So, you know, you will experience that same thing in your industry. So really hit the floor running and start investigating what you do and how you want to get there. So I would also take some time looking at the local want ads online to see what's available in the community in which you are in. And that's the sustainable wage that you want to make. I ended my intro by saying, ask for help, right? And I think for first-generation college students, I need you to know that everyone in the room uh, or in the Zoom room, they all have questions, right? And I think that's really important uh, for you to know. You know, I was really nervous to ask questions. And sometimes the question that you ask may determine the career path that you take. And so for me, I think it's really important for people to find mentors, right? Or to find, make a connection with someone if it's a professor that is teaching bio, right? Or like ask that professor that's teaching like a psych course, right? Like, hey, like, can you talk to me a little bit about your career and like how you ended up here? I think that is so important because everyone's experience on how they got certain is very different, right? And until you start asking those questions, you will see that everyone's path was not as direct as maybe you thought it would be. For me, I think something that was really important was having a mentor that would empower me. And they would always tell me like, make sure that you broaden your portfolio. And what that actually means for me to be able to pivot from one career field to another if I'm able, right? So it's more about the career experiences that you get, right? So like your internships, right? Or your shadowing experiences, right? That you get to see what you like and what you don't like from a career field. And so sometimes when I introduce myself to people, I say, oh, like I'm a higher ed professional. I work in a college setting, but I'm also a therapist, but I'm interested in doing like early career recruitment, right? And so when I say things in an elevator pitch, a person, it could be very versatile in what they want to do, right? And like, they have so many skill sets. And so just want to give that gift of your major does not equal your career path, but also any experience can provide you with a new skill set. And so it may be not, it may not be the experience that you're looking for, but that doesn't mean that you can, you can't build a strength out of it that you want to build. I'll just double down on people like curious, being curious and, and talking to people. I, honestly, I think that was something that I didn't do very effectively early on in, in high school. I, so I went to community college right after high school. Financially, was the better choice for for my family and, and me. And I think I changed, or I think I thought of about seven different career paths in two years of what I thought I would do. And I took a bunch of courses and a variety of things because I had no clue what I was doing. But then I kind of fell back on subjects that were really interesting to me and, and really kind of helped me think about problems I liked solving. I think that's what it started coming down to for me is what kind of problems did I like solving? And at the time it was had to do with people. And I didn't really know what that meant either, but I think it narrowed the scope for me a little bit to start thinking about what was next. And then the more people I talked to, the more I started investigating what that looked like and how different it looked like in, in different aspects. So I think I could have done more of that. And if I think about like what I could have done better was ask more questions and, and be and be more less shy about being curious. Because what I've learned now is that people love 
talking about their stories and about their backgrounds, as you see from this panel, like we are excited to be here to share our stories and give and give our, our perspectives, but people really do enjoy it. So you'd be surprised by asking a simple question of like, how did you get here? What could that could unleash in terms of a background and a story uh, from an individual? Absolutely. And I, I think those are all amazing points and the the relational impact of, you know, the people in your life having mentors, I think that's huge. And I think that, you know, we have seen somewhat historically that, you know, low-income populations or first-generation populations tend to kind of start thinking about career with what's at home. You know, what what careers are their families involved with? with? What careers are, you know, their parents doing right now. Sometimes we kind of start there. But I'm curious, you know, going into college, and we'll get to this portion as well, but would any of you like to talk specifically about maybe a mentorship relationship that kind of changed your trajectory career-wise that you'd like to share with our, our audience? You know, I'll be real vulnerable right now and say that coming into college with a GED made me feel inferior. And I felt like I was sitting in spaces where everyone just knew so much more about the college experience, what we were really doing here and how to get to the next step. And so I had a instructor who then turned into a dean who turned into a president of a college who really just grabbed me by the side and said, what do you not know? And it's hard to answer that question because if you don't know what's available, you don't even know what you're looking for. So really getting involved with those first year experiences, the advising department saying, I don't know what I don't know and how can you help me? And is there a mentorship program? Because throughout my career, I've made that my goal to lift other women in situations like myself and let them know that you can do that. So don't be afraid to like raise your hand in that class or in that advisor or in that meeting and say that I'm just looking for someone to talk to. And sometimes mentorship can just happen organically. I think for me, the the first, if I think about this mentorship kind of question, I think the first person I remember was actually a friend of mine that I was in class with. It was the same major as I was, was uh, at you know, when I was at university, getting my bachelor's degree. And he's the person that put me on and said, there's this internship I think you'd be really great at. It's like working in the academic advising office. Like maybe you should just apply for it. It's unpaid, which I was like, well, I don't know about all that, <laughs> but, but I did. I went down there and I checked it out. Um, and then honestly, that I, I credit that largely to like setting me on this trajectory um, that I w- was on. And so it so it took someone else that I was that saw me and kind of saw what some of my skills were, and kind of recommending something. So I think there are formal people that became like really influential in my life in terms of like supervisors and, and graduate school mentors and things like that. But I think it, it, it can be as simple as people that are looking out for you, people that you're friends with, people that know you and can maybe see those things. So sometimes just asking friends that are you're close to what kinds of things they think you're good at, I think can be really in- interesting and insightful and really open up doors for you that you maybe didn't expect. And that, I think that was the, definitely the case for me. This is such a hard question. I think the one mentor that I think I'll, I'll speak about employee or employers like your supervisors, I think have have more power than they probably acknowledge. Right. And so my one of the first clear mentors that I remember is Miguel Macias. He's now director at University of Washington Bothell. You know, he was the one that told me like broaden your portfolio. Right. He was the one that was like, I want you to be whatever it is that you be. And for no one to ever tell you no, that you can't accomplish that because you're going to have 
have all these experiences that are going to make you probably overqualified and maybe have you be the president or the CEO or whatever it is that you want to like. And was really the first person that was like, I could definitely see you in a doctoral program. I had never heard that from anyone, right? Until he was was kind of like, if you want it, go after it. Not on that journey, because I personally am not ready, but it's nice to know that there are people that, you know, want to encourage me to do that. And then the second person that I think of is my partner, my husband. He is in law enforcement, but is also an entrepreneur, right? And I know that that it's possible for you to pave or to make something that maybe isn't accessible to you, right? Like you want to be the CEO of that company, but you don't want to like work up that ladder, right? Or like, you know, there's other systems that play, you know, start your own company, do your own thing. So that was really the reason that I went into a group practice because, you know, I needed to see that it was okay to not have a like stable income, right? Uh, something that my parents are really nervous about and, but, but to feel comfortable, right? Like making mistakes, right? Being okay with like setting goals. I think that's really important because sometimes we always talk about the things that are safe, right? But there's so many ways that you can get to whatever it is that you want and take non-traditional paths. And so for me, that was very empowering to hear that there is no like right way to get somewhere. Well, so many, so many gems to pick out from that. Continuing on, you know, I think one of the challenges these days in terms of selecting a career, you know, whether it's early in college or as you're leaving high school, is the workforce has changed a lot (laughs) in the last 20, 30 years. And, you know, now careers in artificial intelligence and health informatics and, you know, all of these emerging fields, cybersecurity, there are career fields being created every single day. And so it can seem overwhelming sometimes for students. But at the end of the day, we talk about a lot of times in my meetings with students, we talk about the importance of kind of knowing what's out there, right? A couple of you already kind of mentioned that. Know it, looking at the wanted ads, seeing what's available in your community. And I'm curious, what are some emerging industries or career fields or in-demand industries that you've been noticing maybe in the the current job market that students might be interested in learning more about? I'll start this one and and kind of maybe lay out a few different ideas here. I I think what the pandemic and the social justice issues of last summer have done uh, is really expose a lot of gaps that exists in our country and our society in a lot of different ways. So I think what, what that has also done in turn is kind of really shown a light on where there are opportunities for people to step in as entrepreneurs, as, as you said, they kind of like go in there and start something and go solve the problem, but also organizations that have stepped in and realized that the gaps they have, whether it's delivering healthcare, uh, whether it's virtual environments and what that means, uh, whether it's internet connectivity and making sure people have access to those kinds of uh, resources and services that are critical uh, nowadays, because the virtual environment, we might not be in a full virtual environment in, in, in the next six months, but it's going to be here in some form in the future. And I think, what does that mean? And what is how is that changing workplace? There's obviously also things that continue to really accelerate in terms of industry sectors. Anything involving data is, is going to be king for a long time, right? Or queen for a long time. It's going to be really significant thing about what does that mean? And, and not necessarily like being a math major, but how do you visualize data? How do you tell a story with data? How do you understand and analyze data? So those are going to be critical areas, which then lead to things like cybersecurity and spaces that of the ethical aspect of technology. But I think one theme that's also been really, I think, key in the last 12 months is the fact that there's still a lot of human work 
if you will, that needs to also be done, right? There's a lot of opportunities. People still want creative outlets and creativity. People still need jobs or have jobs that require a high degree of empathy that can't be automated or taken over by robots or things like that. So I think there are skills that are critical to different industry sectors and are still going to be very necessary moving forward because they require a certain level of of humanity, if you will, but also I think decision-making that computers haven't figured out yet. As, as great as our technology is, it still is not at that point of discerning some of those things on us at a scale. So I, I think those are some interesting things that kind of open up doors to different aspects of our communities on areas. And there's a lot of nuance, but the key thing is that this is going to continue to evolve every, even at a more rapid pace, every two or three years. And it's going to be new, different opportunities that are sort of presenting themselves. And so a student's ability to pivot and take what they're doing and apply it to something new and ability to learn is probably going to be the most important value or I think skill that you can continue to hone. How fast can you learn? How fast can you adapt? And how can you articulate that? I think it's going to be key no matter what industry sector, but there's a lot of different opportunities that I think are are still out there in different sectors. They just look starting to look a little different. So I can talk more about that later, but I think that's, uh, that's where I'll start. Something that I've heard a lot from recruiters is they looking to recruit Gen Z coming out of college, right? So I really, I want to say this now for those of you who are thinking about going to a career fair, just go, go because you'll never know the connection that you'll make and how that'll be your foot in the door somewhere. They know the their investment is in Gen Z because they know that you're the next market, right? And so I think that's really important for you all to know, but also for you all to feel confident, right? And like when you do the go to a career fair, like that they want you. And so uh, that's something that I do know that folks have been wanting is just like the the age range uh, and being intentional about that. The other thing that I've heard is a lot of like diversity work, but specifically recruiting um, diverse uh, candidates. And so again, go to career fair. Sometimes I know like at DePaul, we have a career fair just for recruiters that are looking to like increase their diversity within their company, right? And so um, I think that's a really important opportunity for one, you to learn if that if their initiative, their diversity initiative is truly embedded in inclusion and equity, or if they're just doing it for numbers and maybe that's not a good fit for you, right? These are really great opportunities for folks to like sit and think about, you know, what type of company they want to like work for or what industry they want to be in. And so those are, I think, the two things that, the two conversations that I'm having a lot with, with recruiters. Great. So continuing into the second segment, talking about utilizing college to help prepare you for a career. And really, that conversation, I think, starts before you even step on campus, right? At this point in the school year, I'm helping a lot of my seniors look at financial aid offers. They're deciding between, you know, sometimes several different schools and trying to determine what option may be best for them. But I'm curious, you know, there's a really big emphasis these days, especially considering the rising cost of a college education on the return on investment. You know, is this school going to get me to the place that I want to be? And so I'm curious, you know, your experiences with return on investment, any tips you have for either students who are still in college or those deciding, maybe seniors deciding which college they want to go to and how the importance of that that strategy of the return on investment. 
I think it's really important for any seniors. I, I talk to my students about having a spreadsheet, right? Have a spreadsheet of every school that you've applied to, the cost that it costs to go there. What does your financial aid package look like? Some of you may not have even seen what your final package is until maybe like end of March, maybe April. Know that you have like deadline of like May 1st for some schools. And I think that's really important important for you to like have all of the information before you make that decision. For me, I think I knew that I wanted to get a master's degree or go to graduate school. And so because of that, I was very cost uh, conscious of about my career path through my bachelor's. And so uh, I think it's important for everyone to really think about like, what do I feel comfortable with? And also for you, if you are thinking about taking out loans, what does that actually mean? And looking at like salaries of whatever career that you're looking to go into, right? So let's say I'm like living in Chicago, right? But by the time I'm done with all of my school, maybe I'm gonna have over $150,000 that would have gone straight to tuition, right? I think that's really important. That's a realistic number, right? <laughs> with a master's. And so I think it's important for people to know that when I uh, started my career path, I didn't know that that's what it was, right? But I think it's important now for people to really think about what that long-term plan, right? And to kind of like have all that information up front because that my parents were kind of like, I'm not co-signing on any loans, right? <laughs> um, which I respect them now for saying that because not I would have been $150,000 in debt. And then, you know, the other reason that I brought up the entrepreneurial piece is because I really want to empower folks to know that you can work for yourself, right? Like you can really like make some really good money, like consulting or like have, picking up side projects if you're in marketing or data analytics, right? And it's important for you to know that your one degree and that you're only to be tied to a certain salary for the rest of your life, that can fluctuate hugely. I think that's really important for people to know. But also if you're not comfortable with the price tag on a school, there are other ways for you to stand out as a candidate, right? So that can be research projects, that can be studying abroad, right? Um, there are also so many scholarship opportunities for first-gen Pell eligible students of color, right? Like apply, apply, apply to scholarships, even when you're like a freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior, because you... I think there's so much emphasis on it as a high school student, but not as much of it when you are in college. And so know that those opportunities are also there for you. But yeah, if you're looking at a price, a price tag, once you're like looking at that spreadsheet and it makes you feel uncomfortable, listen to that and yourself, is this doable? Is this something that I'm comfortable with? Because if you're not, you're going to be financially stressed. You may not be able to focus on school. You may lose a scholarship because you can't focus on academic You're not academically able, right? But because there are things in your environment that are making it more uh, stressful for you. And that is okay. But I don't want people to go through unnecessary stress. One thing that I would add to that too is college is not just the books and going to class. College is an experience and you are paying for the college experience. So, you know, really make sure that's the experience you want, not just what your friends want, not what your mom or aunt or uncle want. And, you know, definitely not just your peer mates. You know, community college is a viable option for a lot of people. You're, if you're going to be taking English 101 and Math 101 and, and, and the first couple of years of biology and psychology, things like that, do you need to go away? You know, I, I didn't, I walked away with my associate's degree, not owing anyone a penny. I really wish I could have done that for the rest of my degrees, as I think that I'll be paying on them for the next 30 years. So that's another thing that you need to think about when you get that, you know, a lot of students are like, oh, I just got my financial aid check. This is so great. And they go out and buy a TV. 
Well, by the time you pay that off, you could have bought 15 TVs. So really look at that package and see what you really need to have. I cannot stress this enough. Go out and apply for every scholarship. So many times people who are in charge of those come back to the institutions and say, we didn't have enough people that applied or the people were not qualified that did apply. So really explore all those options and talk to people. You don't want to get $100,000 in debt to come out with a career that makes $35,000 a year to start out because you're going to be upside down and you don't need that as your first experience. So just really make sure that it's the experience that you want, not that someone else wants. And is it coming with the right price tag? There's something in the chat box and it says, did you know you can appeal your financial aid? You can talk to them and they can definitely direct you in other forms or fashion for you to pay for school. I have a daughter who went back and she said, I can't come to school because unless she can get it down $3,000 and they found scholarships and opportunities for her or working on campus, which also you can get experience at that helped her through that process. So it's really important to know that what you see on paper, if you're not happy, speak up now because you're stuck with it once you get in the door. And I can't stress the community college piece enough. That was the route I went. I had to stay at home and work on our family business right after I graduated high school and working was important and I could stay close to home. And I was able to go and not pay anything for it for two years um, before transferring into a four-year institution. So that was a really important piece for me. And it didn't derail my trajectory and sort of my advancing and getting degrees later on in my career path at all. If anything, it probably enhanced it to some to some degree. So I think there's a lot of nuance there in thinking about the types of institutions to look at. As you're looking at colleges, especially four-year institutions, I would definitely find the academic advising career center people and find out, really ask them directly, how effective are you going to be to help connect me to people and opportunities? That's going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying, but I think that's what it starts to come down to. How can they help enhance your social capital, your networks uh, as an institution? How can they also identify internships and other experiential learning opportunities for you to gain experience? How, what are they going to do to help you do that? Yes, a lot of that onus is on you, but a lot of institutions are doing more and more to help students navigate that. And you want to use that as one of your, I think, one of your criteria in evaluating those institutions. And the last thing I'll say is about working on campus and either federal work study or part of our campus jobs. I can't stress enough that those are opportunities to actually build your resume, gain very important skills, uh, use those things to talk about, you know, the really the beginning parts of your career. And I think oftentimes we kind of take whatever job is available as, as opposed to looking at jobs that might actually be interesting or aligned because a lot of campus offices hire students to help them. And I think that's an opportunity to really use that as almost an internship or research experience in the first couple of years as you're continuing to explore and look at things. So if you're interested in marketing, go work in the marketing department. If you're interested in, in doing research, find a faculty member to work with. So there's different opportunities that often have financial op- options as well that could be great for learning. And so it's kind of working and you know, earning and learning, as they say, you know, kind of at the same time and thinking of ways you can do that. I think those are some definitely things to, to keep in mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Work study is amazing. I did that in college as well. I, in, I, it was very simple work, too. I worked at our school's athletic department. And did color commentary for the basketball games. And I got paid to do that. I didn't make it to ESPN, but that's okay, you know. But yes, work study is is awesome. So 
I want to touch on something that both that really all of you kind of talked about, you know, it was talking about, you know, you're getting the full college experience and kind of what employers are looking for, you know, after college and, and, and what students can do to stand out while they're in college before even leaving and going into the workforce. And I'm curious, what are some ways students can stand out or grow professionally we're talking during college, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior year, senior year, through various avenues, academics, networking, extracurriculars. What are some of the ways you think students can best utilize those channels? I am in a position that I hire people all year long, and I will tell you what entices me or what sets people aside is their experiential learning and being able to answer the question, what have you done besides school? Whether that is research, volunteering, advocacy. If I have a student who's sitting in front of me and they're talking about the fact that they've advocated for things, that they've went above and beyond their normal, typical college experience to get more experience in that area or to volunteer with an organization, that's someone that I feel is going to be more devoted in my position that I'm looking to fill. And so really it's about going through campus activities that can really bulk up your resume and connect you with the people that you need to be connected with in the right industries. If you're going for education, tutor. If you're going for marketing, you know, do some pro bono work for a non-for-profit or even just asking to shadow and then listing that out on your resume. There's so much that you guys are doing that you're not going to think is important, but really, you know, LinkedIn and social media kind of is like a little playbook of what you've done the last four years. Put it out there. Let people like that. Set yourself aside from other applicants. And you're not going to do that by just going to school and getting straight A's and coming out with a degree because your, your GPA is definitely not on your degree. It's all the things that you did in that experience that you're paying for that's going to matter when you get out. Yeah, I, I think the reality is, is that nobody asked me what my major is anymore and nobody asked me what my GPA was anymore uh, now that like I'm 20 years out, 20 plus years out of college, you know. And so I think the experience I did have, though, are still very relevant to the jump off point. In, in grad school and undergrad and everything else like that. So I, I think those are those experiences I, I would very much say is, is critical. I think the other thing I would say that employers are looking for that we're trying to help students, you know, uh, convey in their stories is authenticity. I, I think the reality is, is how do you, uh, thinking about this breadth versus depth, I think sometimes in high school, we kind of collect as much as possible in order to be the best candidate for college. Like I, I volunteered, I worked, I did this, I raised money and all these other things. And I think in college, I think we kind of start to think about repeating that same cycle. Like I do all those same things and that's what employers are going to want. But it's not necessarily that. I think employers want to see that you can tell the story of the very specific examples of when you've enacted change or you led a group or you worked in a team or whatever it might be that they're looking for skills wise. So that could come from the classroom experiences you have, but it also, I think, will come from all these other things you surround your academic experience with. And, and if you are one of those students that have to work and work a lot of hours, taking that's once again an opportunity for you to practice and hone those skills so that you can showcase those. But I think that the authenticity is key because I think, you know, I can't tell you the number of employers as I said, I love talking to students that waited tables, that worked in retail, that do these things because it showed their hustle, showed their salesmanship, it shows whatever other skills that they were looking for. And I think those are sometimes overlooked or we kind of 
kind of lower them on the value of, of how important they are, but you gain really important things from those and, and you're able to talk about them in very different ways because of how meaningful they were to you. So I think it's it's finding those opportunities and kind of investing energy in those things, whether it's gaming or sports or whatever it is, how can you talk about with and tie it to skills and have meaning behind it that's very authentic to you. So I think that's what's standing out because at some point in the recruiting process, everything levels out. All the GPAs are the same, all the majors are the same. So the people that are going to stand out from those are the ones that can really tell the story and connect those dots and translate that for the organization. I, I think that Joe touched on was having an on-campus job, right? Or something that'll kind of like, you know, set up your resume. When you are talking to your supervisors at those jobs, let's say you're like a front desk assistant, right? Talking to your supervisor about what your goals are, right? And I think being able to say like, hey, I'm really interested in like marketing. Like, do you need help with marketing, right? That way you still get paid, but can also like develop a portfolio, right? Those you know, again, this is why I think asking for help or talking, building those relationships are so important because if someone knows your work ethic and is willing to like help you out in that way, they're going to give you those opportunities, right? The other thing that I really want to share is that some of your universities like may have opportunities for unpaid internships for you to receive like a stipend or for you to receive like a scholarship through that. And so sometimes if you reach out to the career center or, you know, anyone that's connected to like an internship program at your university, may let you know that there are is it, that's not always the case but there may be right like a financial assistance for students who like you know really can't afford to do an unpaid internship but like I need the experience um they are very competitive but I I think if you are willing to invest in in that a uh, kind of like upfront and do the work to get the scholarship like it's it's completely worth it because then that'll help you stand out against other candidates so yeah ask for help and again don't looking for a scholarship I'll just say one other thing not everything has to be a massive commitment either it's not like a full semester or a year. It could be a project that takes two weeks to do. And I think that's that's changed. And this landscape and this virtual environment has really changed that dynamic, that there's more and more really cool online tools to find virtual experiences, project-based work. There's a, a site called MindSumo that pays you to be like basically test out ideas and products. And, and it's just like, it's amazing. Like I had some students do it this year and they're like, so they paid me and I just gave them feedback. And I was like, whatever, do you do whatever you gotta do to get the money? And I think it's fine, but it's experience that they could add then as well. So not everything is, is has to be these longer, bigger commitments. And so I think it's finding those buckets and pockets of projects to start to add and build. And then that will sort of cascade into other opportunities as well. Absolutely. And, you know, a word that you all have used a lot tonight was, has been experiential learning. And that's a, that's really a word that, a phrase that a lot of colleges are using these days, especially with their growing investment in, in career preparation. For the sake of time, can maybe one of you just share like a brief definition of what experiential learning is and maybe share a couple of examples of what those types of opportunities look like? We have experiential learning and it can be job shadowing. It can be internships. It can be externships, which are unpaid. It can be interviewing. It can be doing research and sitting on panels with different individuals in different arenas. I think that all of those things play a role in career success after college as well. And it would even help you prior to going to college by doing participating in some experiential learning. Awesome. Yeah. And I know a lot of high schools, our high school, for example, has added a, a career exploration and internship program that high school students can get involved with too. So 
And Cody, can I just add to that? When you're in an experiential experience, learning experience, it's kind of like an on-the-job interview to making references and resources that you can tap into later on in your career. So it's really important. And, you know, speaking with those people and letting them know your situation. I was raising five kids while I was going to college. So letting them know that so they could curtail what they offered to me as far as experiences really helped me take advantage of that. If I had just went to the career services office, I don't know if I would have had that great success without kind of seeing what my individual story and needs were in that arena. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that the the relationships you make through experiential learning and also just the experiences of what, what was that experience like for me? You know, I always tell my students, career is kind of like food. You don't know you don't like it until you try it, right? And so we really try to get students to, to not be afraid of taking those chances and those opportunities. So we've already touched on this a couple times this evening, but more specifically, just to close out this second segment pretty briefly, for students wanting to go beyond the bachelor's degree, for students wanting to seek advanced level degrees, what are some some strategies or tips that you would offer to them during their undergraduate days and their undergraduate work? This is like a first-gen space. And so I always think it's important for people to know about TRIO. TRIO provides career development for first-generation Pell-eligible students. I think that's really important because you will have someone holding your hand the entire way through up and, you know, through you applying to go to the graduate school, right? And so you don't have to ever do any of this stuff alone. There are so many first-gen programs, and I think that's really important for you to know. This is what they get paid to do, right? They get paid to get you into grad schools. So ask who those people are when you get to your campus. There's a resource rich for first-gen students nowadays. And if you're looking at a school institution that doesn't have that, look at a different one. Because I think it's important because there's there's plenty of them out there that want to help students, first-generation students, advance and continue down the track if that's the right fit. Um, for you in terms of advanced degrees. Uh, I think Yesenia kind of referenced this earlier, but when thinking about advanced degrees, you have to think about the cost benefit, right? Because master's degrees cost differently than PhDs and, and doctoral programs. And there's a very different financial model that exists within this. So I think those are critical because there is scholarships and there's money and everything else. But I think there's, there's a different mathematical computation to start to think about when you think about the different types of degrees, professional or otherwise. But as an undergraduate, I think what's critical to any graduate program application are faculty references and recommendations. So what kind of relationships can you form with faculty throughout your time? And it's taking the extra time to maybe go to office hours or find faculty members or TAs that you can connect with and, and find some relationships with. And the TRIO programs help do that and facilitate some of those connections. But even, even if you're if you're not seeing that, it's, it's spending the extra time with faculty because they... A, have insights into programs and and what those might might look like, but also they're going to be critical in terms of your application process. So spending time um, with faculty is going to be a key piece for sure of thinking about any advanced degrees, even if you're not going directly after um, your bachelor's degree, if you're going to take some time off. I took two years off before going back um, for a master's degree, but my reference, my recommendations still came from faculty members I kept in touch with that were key to my application process. So as we close tonight, we're going to end with our final segment, which is for students entering the workforce, right? So for those students who are nearing the end of their college career, getting the degree of their choice, and then comes the real world, 
and I hate to use that term, but I use that term a lot with students. And for first generation students, I think the, the that real world can sometimes feel a little bit unknown, right? You, you completed college, but then what's next? And a lot of times I feel like first generation students are wondering, what does it look like after that? What are, what are places looking for? What are organizations seeking from candidates? So I'm curious, what are some things, and some of you have already mentioned some examples, but what are some things you think employers are really looking for from candidates these days specifically? I think it's the well-rounded individual that their resume shows that they can balance multiple things, something that's going to set you aside from the other applicants for sure. And, you know, I, I go back to, and I keep saying this, but your social media, LinkedIn presence, and taking that information and making sure you look the same on paper, because that's the first impression that anyone has from you is your application and your resume. So if there isn't something that sets you aside, if there isn't something that speaks to me as someone who's going to hire you, you get pushed off. You know, I need something to stand out that says I'm amazing. And this is why. So I think it's really important that you take the time in college. And if you haven't, that summer right after you graduate, really dive into the industry that you're in and start making connections. It's really hard sometimes with first-generation students. Like in my case, I had to go to work right away. So it was ready, set, get a job. And then I didn't even get a job in the area in which I had a degree because I didn't have enough time because I wasn't forward thinking to start this process before I graduated because I didn't have someone necessarily holding my hand. This is where career services becomes your BFF. They go in there and say, I'm going to need to work. Give me, Help me with some tips that I can come out with a job. Many students do come out because they start you know, now. It's, it's already March, guys. So you should be in that office. You should be working on how to take everything that you done and put it on paper and how to sell yourself and look for opportunities that you can begin to work if that is your situation, you know, and, and you'll be able to do it. So sometimes we feel a little bit nervous because we're the first person in our family to do that. And so there's not a lot of people helping us hone in on those skills and telling us what to do it um, next, but really know that there, you have a lot of cheerleaders at your institution and in your industry and take advantage of them. So that way you can get the help that you need, but you will get there. I promise. So we started tonight talking about people and and that's I'm, I'm going to come back to that because the relationships are key and these are things you can collect, if you will, throughout your time at university, right? You can, you're building and, and reaching out and just meeting people because the reality is that most jobs, the vast majority of jobs are never posted anywhere. They're through referrals and they're through networks and they're through other people. And so the relationships are critical to helping you find those opportunities and help navigate that. And the reality is, is that most people would rather get a referral for someone to hire than just hire blindly. Like we all, we all, we've all experienced this, right? If you've ever gone on a blind date, you know how painful that could be. But if you trust the person that set you up on that blind date, you're a little bit more, you know, maybe a little bit more open to it, right? So I think this is kind of a similar thing, you know, like we're trying to mitigate the risk for the hiring. And I think that, so the relationships are key um, to helping that. So collecting those throughout your time in, in, in college, I think is, is really key. I think one thing we really emphasize with students and talk to them about is how to effectively tell their story. And it sounds really trite and maybe really over sim simple, but it's that's not easy to do because I think, and I say this kind of tongue in cheek, but recruiters that are doing this for like for companies, they tend to be a little lazy. 
And you have to kind of lead them to water and tell them what exactly it is that you have and how that can help them solve the problem that they're trying to solve at their company. You have to kind of connect the dots for them because they're not going to necessarily do it on their own sometimes. So you have to take a step back and say, what have I done at university? What are the experiences that I have? What are my strengths and what's my personality and what do I think I do well? And then how does that relate to what it is that I'm going after? That story and how you weave those things together, I think becomes really critical and it does stand out when people do it effectively and do it well. And there's the social media version um, that we talked about, right? That how do you effectively do that online? And then how do you do that effectively in person as well? And I think the other thing that's becoming more common in certain industry sectors are looking what kinds of credentials you're coming out with besides your bachelor's or associate's degree. So that's great now. And this last year has really demonstrated that, that students can obviously go get a bachelor's degree in something. At the same time, they can spend two weeks and get a Tableau certification for data visualization. They can go get Salesforce certified, which is probably the, one of the number one skills you can get right now. And it commands a high salary if you understand how to use Salesforce, which is a software platform um, for that most companies that around the United States use as, as they're one of their main software platforms. So there's things like that you can do and invest in that some of them don't even cost any money. Some of them are nominal, maybe like $200, but they're totally worth it because when employers are looking, they're sometimes scanning for certain skills and those things might stand out to them and also set you apart. Um, from your peers when you're looking at that. So there's a growing sort of volume of opportunities like that, that I think can really supplement and complement the academic work and the experiential learning that we've talked about. Absolutely. And, you know, bringing it back to people, as you mentioned, I'm curious if maybe one or two of you wants to, to briefly talk about this as well, but, you know, especially given the last year, technology has provided us with so many things. And, and one of the biggest areas is through networking. And networking can be done in person. Networking can now be done you know, virtually with technology. And so I'm curious if, if one of you wants to just speak briefly on the importance of networking and what that can do for students heading into the workforce. I think, Cody, there's a lot of professional development organizations that are out there and networking opportunities that didn't exist before. And knowing your industry and seeing what's available, if you're a teacher, there's teachers associations. If you're an engineer, there's women in engineering or men of color in engineering associations. So you can build a support system as well as network. You can bounce ideas off of them. So I think it's it's really important. And every time you're at one of these events, I always say it's like, you know, put your game face on because you never know who you're going to meet. I've found positions in my career that way just by networking and seeing people consistently in that industry in different formats. And they realize that, you know, what I'm selling is myself and, you know, that could be a good fit in their company. Panelists would love to also talk about the impacts of COVID, right, on on the workforce. And I'm curious, do any of you have any insight to share in terms of, you know, what to predict of the workforce going forward, given some of the hiring practices that have been impacted by COVID? I think this is going to vary widely by industry sector. And I think, you know, some of you may have already experienced this. Some of you have maybe had part-time jobs in hospitality or restaurants, and you know exactly what I'm talking about and how, how damaging uh, this pandemic has been to those part-time jobs. So I think different sectors, you know, some sectors have not experienced any 
any slowdown in hiring. They've they're doing fine. They're actually hiring more people than they were prior to the pandemic because their industry sectors like technology, um, anything having to do with virtual Zoom, you know, things like that, they're on a hiring spree and looking for for people. So there's certain sectors that are growing. And I think what's different now is one of the things that are different is different now is how has the virtual environment impacted those industries moving forward? So something like healthcare. Many places were very reticent to do like telehealth before the pandemic, right? And now it was a necessity to have to do that. So how does that change the work that's being done? And how do you deliver healthcare in, in a virtual environment or telehealth to people that are desperately in need of that? Well, that creates new opportunities and new types of skills. And your ability to navigate this environment over the last year can be suddenly an asset in working at some of these organizations and being able to deliver that. So I think it's really important to go back to some of the things we talked about of what kinds of things, what kind of problems do you want to solve? Are there things that have presented themselves over the last year that you want to dig into, whether it's related to the environment, healthcare, social justice issues, and then how do you do that both virtually and in person? Because this is not going away immediately, right? We're going to still feel the residual effects of this for many years to come. But I think there's some really interesting things. And, and I think it's riding the wave of that and paying attention and asking a lot of questions and staying curious, I think will help to navigate that and, and start to help you position yourself. Great. Yes, we will certainly be able to see some of the impacts that COVID's had and, you know, some of their, their, I I always try to think on the bright side of things. A lot of my students and colleagues know that. And so very curious to see all of the new opportunities that were kind of created through this, through this situation. So panelists, as we close tonight, first, I just want to thank you again, so much great information shared um, and we we are so grateful that you're here to share your information as first-generation students and first-generation professionals with our first-generation community. To close tonight, I would just like for you all to maybe leave some words of wisdom or advice just generally for first-generation students can be in any certain subject area, but kind of your final message and final words of wisdom for this evening. Um, I think the one message I will say is that you can do it. And there were so many times, both in my community college experience and at university, where I felt like I just wasn't smart enough to be in the space. I didn't have everything that everyone else did and just be persistent and get through it because you are just like everyone else. Your situation is just a little bit different and never doubt yourself. If you set forth a goal, you're going to get there. As long as you don't give up, expect there to be hard days, expect things to be difficult, expect to not know things. That's okay. Everyone else there is in the same situation. You just don't realize it. So, you know, I'll be your cheerleader and say that you can do it because if you had told me when I was sitting there taking my GED that I would be a doctor one day, I would have said you were a wackadoodle. And now here I am. I'm the, I've been president of an educational institution for the state of Illinois. I mean, who'd have thought that? Not me. So the sky is the limit. Take the opportunities and really just don't give up on yourself. It, you know, you're your own investment in this situation and you can do it. As you are your best investment, if you build those relationships up front, people are going to know you're looking for opportunities and they're going to put them up naturally to you because they know you're a go-getter. I agree with, with both of those parting thoughts. I think the, the what I would add is find a really good support system and really create one. That's, I think it's so important. I think we've talked about that in, in part of 
people around us, whether they're mentors or partners or whatever it might be, but finding a good group of people to help you. And so you can lean on when you're going through a lot of these things or kind of having those moments. I think it's critical. It's was critical for me and throughout my academic experience and, and work experience, frankly, I think that's, that's really important. And the other thing is, is continue to be curious, ask a lot of questions, keep pushing, gather intel and information, because that's the only way I think to help sort of discern what are great opportunities from good opportunities and starting to learn. But if you continue to be curious and, and just try things out, I think is going to be a really important piece as you go through uh, your experience in college. Great. Well, those are great messages to end on. So again, panelists, thank you so much for being here tonight and for sharing your stories and your experiences with our first-gen audience. I want to also thank the First Fellows Program at the University of Alabama, and specifically Mason Aldridge, who did an amazing job in helping getting this set up for us and helping partner with us for this event. We are always grateful for our first-generation partners and our university and college partners through these programs that we have to offer through the podcast. And I also want to thank our team from the How to College podcast, many of whom are on here tonight. So Norma, Luz, Dan, and Mijin. Thank you again, everyone, for being here tonight. Thanks again to today's guests, Joe Tastani, Yesenia Mejia, and Dr. Gina DeRossier-Cook for sharing their expert advice as first-generation professionals with our first-generation audience. And thank you for tuning in to How to College for First Gens. There are so many great takeaways from this panel, but we hope you leave this panel with a greater understanding of the opportunities out there for you when it comes to preparing for your future. From experiential learning, like internships or having a job, to relationship building through networking and mentorships, it's important to understand that you are not alone in this journey and that you are capable of whatever you put your mind to in any field of your choice. As you continue to plan, reflect on your skills, your interests, and your values that you have, and that will serve as a roadmap to your future career. We hope you found today's episode to be helpful. As always, you can find us online at howtocollegefirstgen.org. If you have any questions or feedback as we want to hear what you think, what you're struggling with, and how we can help. If you prefer to reach us on social media, you can find us at at howtocollegefirstgen on Instagram and Facebook and htcfirstgen on Twitter. Remember, you are not alone in this journey. Until next time.